Hello and welcome to Talking Uretina, the official podcast of the European Society of Retina Specialists, Uretina. I'm Jonathan McRae. In this podcast, we bring you expert discussions and interviews with leaders from the world of retina and beyond. We also keep you up to date with the latest news from the society. In this episode, everything you need to know about the bad guy in myopia, staphyloma. We'll have a great discussion for you, chaired by Uretina President-elect Professor Ramin Tadioni in a minute. Uh, but first, a reminder that Anat Lowenstein is hosting another Uretina double debate on November 29th at 8pm CET, exploring two questions. First, that high-dose aflibercept is a game-changer, and then treatment of CSR should include micro-pulse laser. As always, an international faculty of experts will discuss these questions and the evidence available. Registration opens soon on the Uretina website, uretina.org. Okay, it's time for our scientific discussion. And as I mentioned, our chair is Professor Ramin Tadioni from University of Paris Cité, La Roboisière, Saint Louis and Adolphe de Rothschild Foundation Hospitals in France. He is joined by Professor Kyoko Onomatsui from Tokyo Medical and Dental University in Japan and Professor David Gaucher from the Department of Ophthalmology, University of Strasbourg in France. Ramin, great to have you back. Really interesting topic. So looking forward to hearing it. Over to you. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Kiko, the first question for you, uh, what's a staphyloma and how to diagnose and image it? Thank you very much uh, for your question. And actually, posterior staphyloma is different from generalized bowing of the sclera. The staphyloma is defined by Dr. Richard Spade, and he showed that uh, staphyloma is a posterior outpouching of the scleral wall in the limited area of the fundus. So it needs to have staphyloma edges, and it's clearly different from generalized bowing. And uh, to detect staphylomas, we need uh, special techniques called 3D MRI of the eye and ultra-wide field OCT because staphyloma is usually wide, uh, often wide, and it's uh, conventional 50-degree fundus photos or 6 millimeters OCT scan do not accommodate its entire extent. So we need to see a larger area of the fundus. So uh, 3D MRI and ultra-wide field OCT are useful and in these days, for screening purposes, we often use ultra-wide field OCT. So if I don't have any ultra-wide field OCT or MRI, I just have the fundus, that's the only way to see it. And what are the signs in the fundus that show me that there is a staphyloma there? Yes, thank you so much. Actually, uh, wide-field fundus imaging, like Optus, is useful to detect the staphyloma edges because uh, pigmentary abnormalities often occur along the staphyloma edges. So by identifying such pigmentary abnormalities, we can see where and whether uh, staphyloma is in that eye. But uh, we should notice, we should keep in mind that such pigmentary abnormalities only occur in a long-standing staphyloma when staphyloma edges are steep. So wide field fundus imaging with this device, uh, there are some possibilities that we miss milder or early staphylomas. Thank you very much, Kyoko. It's a, such a pleasure to hear you. You're so knowledgeable on this 
topics. Thank you. David, now a question for you. You have described first a dome-shaped macula. So what, what is a dome-shaped macula? And is it only in highly myopic eyes or it can be found in mildly myopic or even maybe non-myopic eyes? Thank you very much, Ramin, for your invitation and for the question. Well, DSM is an anterior protrusion of the macular area uh, that bulges within the eye globe. Uh, we don't exactly know why uh, it's coming, but maybe we'll talk about that later. Originally, when we described it, it was only in highly myopic or moderately myopic patients. But recently, uh, some reports uh, have described the same curvature at the posterior pole of the eyes, even in hyperopic uh, or emetropic eyes. Uh, it seems that in the normal population, there is a maybe 5% of the population that presents a, an anterior curvature of the posterior pole, uh, as we see in uh, DSM. Thank you, David. You, you alluded a little bit to the pathophysiology. So I will ask first Kyoko, so why staphylomia appears? Do we have any idea of the pathophysiology? And also a very specific question, at which age this staphyloma will appear? Actually, uh, the pathophysiology of staphyloma is a very difficult part. Still, I'm not aware why and how it happens. But with wide field OCT, uh, these days we examine many uh, children with high myopia. And the data showed that uh, staphyloma developed at a much younger age than we previously thought. So even in eight years old or 10 years old with high myopia, we see staphyloma edges, mostly around the optic nerve. And uh, uh, it is interesting that uh, most of the staphyloma which occur in children are peripapillary staphyloma. Although uh, in adults, staphyloma are most uh, commonly white macular type. So although staphyloma develops in childhood, the area is different. But we still uh, we do not know yet why uh, staphyloma occurs in peripapillary area. Maybe the peripapillary sclera and laminar cribrosa, uh, the papillary region has a different uh, feature which uh, resist to mechanical load that may partly explain why uh, staphyloma happens in the peripapillary region first, but the pathophysiology of staphyloma is really a difficult part. Thank you, Kyoko. One extra question. Is staphyloma symmetrical between two eyes or it could be different from one eye to the other? It is a very interesting point. Actually, staphylomas are very symmetrical, like a mirror uh, between the two eyes. So the two eyes of the same pa patients have strictly identical pattern of staphylomas. It's very interesting. And even in the patients with unilateral high myopia, one eye is highly myopic and the, sometimes the other eye is completely emetropic. But even in those eyes, even in the emetropic fellow eyes of these patients, 
we see staphyloma edges, and the area of staphyloma is the same uh, with her or his other eye. And the degree of the depth of staphyloma is the only difference between the two eyes. So the information, morphological information of staphyloma is very uh, symmetrical between the two eyes. Very intriguing and interesting in terms of pathophysiology. Thank you. Uh, David, same question for you. Do you know why some patients have dumb-shaped macula? Can it be found at any ages? Any thoughts on pathophysiology? Well, no. Uh, as for staphylomas, we don't really know the physiopathology. I think everything has got to, to see with the scleral growth and uh, the control of the scleral growth of the eye. But we don't exactly know how it works. Maybe the DSM is a sort of staphyloma, uh, but at the center of the macula, there is no uh, staphylomatous phenomenon. And the staphyloma is maybe around the central uh, area of the macula. But it's just an hypothesis because maybe in some really, really long eye, the sclera is so thin that it can also uh, be uh, like uh, plicated. And so, so there's both hypotheses for the, the development of DSM. And is it also symmetrical between two eyes? If there is in one eye dumb shape, there is other... Well, shape. not really. Uh, it can be very symmetrical, but sometimes it is not. As for uh, other types of staphyloma, sometimes it's unilateral. The first description, there was only 50% of the person that have bilateral uh, DSM. Thank you, David. But maybe um, the uh, discrepancies in studies in between, is it symmetrical, is it in both eye, one eye, and others may also come by the difficulties to investigate basically different type of staphyloma. Because as you said, we don't have MRI, we don't have ultraviolet ferocity, it may be difficult to do. Um, but uh, Kyoko, I have more, uh, more precise, now we go to the, to, to the clinical side. Say, is the staphyloma the bad guy? I mean by this that for a given axial lens, when there is a staphyloma, is it worse than having just a longer eye? Yeah, actually, I really think that the staphyloma is a bad guy because uh, when the axial length increases, usually the equatorial region of the eye elongates. So posterior part of the eye just dislocated posteriorly and the posterior fundus shape is not changed much. And the posterior fundus area may become 1.5 times or so, but it doesn't uh, it wouldn't become double. But when staphyloma develops, the, the area posterior fundus, which has uh, important tissues like optic nerve and foveal macula, and which is expanded significantly, and it could become double. So the mechanical uh, load onto the posterior fundus is no comparison between the eyes with and pos without posterior staphyloma. So, and we also analyzed, uh, compared the eyes, highly morbid eyes with and with staphyloma, without staphyloma, and optic nerve damage and a macular redness cases and a myopic macular atrophy all were significantly more prevalent in eyes with. Uh, staphyloma. So uh, having staphyloma is a really a bad thing for highly myopic patients. Thank you, Kyoko. And if someone has a staphyloma, how often you recommend the patient to consult the ophthalmologist? 
Yeah, actually, um, when patients have staphyloma, and uh, they often have macular problems, optic nerve problems. So at least we see them every six months if they don't have immediate uh, vision problems. So at least uh, every six months we follow them. And at least a year we do uh, a wide field OCT. Thank you. Very, very clear and very practical uh, advices. So, David, why dome shape is a problem? Because basically it seems like the macula is protected. It's, uh, uh, it's not in the staphyloma. Why it should be a problem? And what are the problems that these patients have? Uh, yes, uh, it's very interesting. Um, well, sometimes it's not a problem. And some patients have dome shaped macula without any symptoms. But it becomes to be a problem because uh, usually this uh, dome shape can be associated with atrophy, epithelium atrophy. And uh, with uh, the atrophy uh, causes uh, significant uh, visual impairment. So that's the main problem. And another problem that has been uh, since the first description reported is uh, the association uh, between dome shape macula and the presence of fluid under the uh, neuroretina at the center of the macula. We don't exactly know uh, why there is this fluid and we don't know how to get it out because uh, we don't have any treatment to, to treat this uh, sort of edema, but it's, maybe it's not an edema because uh, treatment, usual treatment for macular edema are not functional. So that's the problem. But the question is interesting because there are some typical complications of uh, myopic staphyloma that uh, are never associated with the dome-shaped macula uh, uh, as the, 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 the foveoscysis, uh, for instance. The foveoscysis is always around the bulge and never on the top of the bulge, which is maybe in favor of the hypothesis of uh, the staphyloma around the macula in case of dome-shaped macula. So it creates some problem, but it's protective from some other problem. Exactly. So you alluded to, to the schizis and the tractional issues. So that's my next question for Kyoko. Is the PVD different when there is a staphyloma? And is the staphyloma a problem for creating more of this uh, tractional or tensional problem? Because David alluded that they may not be uh, on the top of the dome shape, it's around. So it seems that the staphyloma is a problem for all these issues. Yeah, uh, macular retinoschisis seems different between the eyes with and without staphyloma. And uh, PBD is also different uh, in eyes with staphyloma. PBD sometimes occurs only within the staphylomatous area. And in eyes with staphyloma, PVD occurs in a very different way. And uh, some even uh, in eyes without staphyloma, sometimes PVD occurs only in the area where the sclera most posteriorly protrudes. So how PVD occurs in halimopic eyes are correlated with the shape of the eye. And uh, when macular retinoschisis uh, in eyes with posterior staphyloma, retinoschisis is restrict restricted within the staphylomatous area and it does not go beyond the staphyloma edge. So it is interesting. But uh, retinoschisis also occurs in eyes without staphyloma. And in those patients, sometimes retinoschisis is very widespread and diffuse staphyloma. So the phenotypes, uh, features uh, look different 
but you you may know much better than I do. No, you you know you are the most knowledgeable person in, the, in all this field, Kyoko. And is the staphylama a fa- risk factor for detachment from a macular hole, for example, in the myopic eyes? I think so, yes. Especially for macular hole retinal detachment, uh, staphyloma is, uh, I think, a risk factor. Thank, thank you, Kyoko. Thank you. So the other way around, David, you already answered one, one of my questions, which was, is DSM protective from this attractional complication? But you already said yes. But my question, then we'd go to the CNV, so the neovascularization with dumb-shaped macula. Is dumb-shaped macula... Uh, a risk factor for neovascularization, and in a practical way, when there is some fluid, how do you know if it comes from a neovascularization from dumb shape or could be be associated? So there are a lot of points all around neovascularization and dumb shape. Please let us simplify things. (laughs) I'll try it. Thank you for your question. So um, I think it's not... uh, um, factor for neovascularization, but it can be associated with uh, CNV uh, just as other myopic fundus, I mean. And uh, we treat the CNV the same way as we treat in other myopic patients. But the problem is when there is some fluid and you are not sure that there is a neovascular membrane, uh, we can't be sure that the fluid that we see is not a CNV. So I think in those cases in which you have problems to know if there is fluid because of a CNV or just because there is a DSM and it can be associated without CNV, what we have to perform uh, fluorescein angiography because sometimes the fluorescein angiography can uh, show the typical diffusion that you can see uh, in presence of a CNV. Uh, so that, that's what I do uh, classically. But in some cases, it's very tough to to make the difference. And it's not maybe uh, an abomination to try uh, an injection, an anti-VGF injection, if you're not sure, instead of not doing anything. So I'm relieved to know that I'm not the only one that in some cases, despite OCTA, FA, everything, we just wonder... I'm not sure. Let's let's have a give it try for a treatment. Kyoko, do you also try some things because we some injection in some cases that we are not sure? Yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. Sometimes in hyalomorphic eyes, getting beautiful images by OCTA or OCT are difficult. So for difficult cases which I'm not sure, I sometimes uh, do anti-VEGF injections. But I also have some patients with simple uh, macular hemorrhage due to a new lacquer crack formation, and they are confused with uh, CNV, neovascularization, and they sometimes receive anti-VEGF uh, injections. So I try to differentiate uh, these two conditions. Thank you, Kyoko. So my next question is for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, is staphyloma also a risk factor for CNV, for lacquer cracks, for atrophy? Is there also a link And are they always inside the staphyloma? Yeah, thank you so much for this question. I think atrophy is correlated with staphyloma and especially severe atrophy, like patchy atrophy or macular atrophy, tend to occur more in eyes with staphyloma. But lacquer cracks and uh, macular neovascularization may be a little different. And uh, in particular, lacquer cracks tend to occur in eyes with less severe atrophy, and they often happen in their 
twenties uh, or thirties, and before having uh, obvious staphylomas. So for lacquer cracks, which is a long breaks of Brooks membrane, for long breaks to occur, maybe somewhat normal, healthy Brooks membrane may be necessary, and for macular neurovascularization, it also it is reported that. Uh, it tends to occur in eyes with shallow staphyloma. So for neurovascularization to occur, also uh, a little healthy uh, choroidal circulation needs to be maintained. So in eyes with severe deep staphylomas, choroidal circulation is severely impaired. And in that case, maybe uh, the eyes cannot have developed uh, neurovascularization. So even among uh, myopic macular, macular lesions, uh, ten- the tendency is different. Thank, thank you. Very clear. So basically, it seems that because there is a lot of atrophy, there will not be CNV. Very, very, very clear observation. Kyoko, the, the last question for you, and I will ask a similar question to David. So the staphyloma is the bad guy. So is there any treatment for the staphyloma? Some people have proposed different techniques to protect, to treat. So is there a treatment for the staphyloma itself besides the complications? Yeah, unfortunately, there are no uh, good treatments so far uh, based on the evidence. But some doctors in China uh, perform scleral reinforcement surgery to prevent and also decrease treat staphylomas. But I'm not sure about the long-term efficacy and the safety. And uh, other treatments uh, would include uh, scleral collagen cross-linking, which is used uh, for keratoconus in our corneal field. And uh, uh, some some doctors, uh, we we have also uh, been thinking about the clinical trials uh, to treat staphyloma using scleral cross-linking, but it has not studied yet. So it is a, a it is a future possibility. And uh, also scleral collagen, scleral regeneration would be an option. But at this moment, uh, unfortunately, we don't have a great effective treatment for staphylomas. Thank you, very clear. So no treatment today, only treatment of complications <laughs> and hopefully a new treatment later on. I hope. Yes. T- David, uh, quite similar question. So um, for dumb-shaped macula, is there a treatment for the complication of thumb-shaped macula, I mean the fluid appearance, and is there any way to avoid or decrease this or any treatment for thumb-shaped macula? So on the treatment side, what can we do? Well, unfortunately, uh, just as for staphylomas, there is no consensual uh, treatment for the moment. And uh, the fluid uh, is... Uh, normally not treated because we don't have any uh, treatment that is uh, efficient. However, sometimes I try, but it's personal, the, um, the uh, spironolactone, which can have some effects on the fluid under the macula. And uh, if it's the beginning of the disease without too much atrophy of the uh, pigmented epithelium, you can have a really um, a visual improvement. So sometimes instead of doing nothing, because you can try this, but if there is a big epithelium atrophy under 
the fluid, I think there is no treatment possible for the moment. And what do you say to the patient? Is the prognosis bad? No. Uh, there are some studies uh, which reported that even if there, are, there is some fluid under the macula, the vision uh, remains stable for a long time, even five years. So it's not so bad. But usually when the atrophy is important, the, the, the vision can be really impaired. Thank you very much for both of you. It was a real privilege to have such an uh, important specialist of this uh, curvature issues and myopia with, with us. To, I, I learned a lot and I hope uh, our, uh, our guests too. Jonathan, I hand over to you. Well, Ramin, Kyoko and David, thank you so much. Really interesting listening and I hope uh, our audience got a lot from it. That's it from us on this episode. If you'd like us to cover anything on the podcast or have a question for our esteemed faculty, you can email us podcast at uretina.org. For updates on upcoming events, log on to uretina.org. I'm Jonathan McRae. Thanks for listening. I'll see you in two weeks where we'll have a special Women in Retina episode. Join me then on Talking Uretina. Retina.